welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Well, hello, and welcome again to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where I always want you to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Today, I have a really special show as it relates to what I just said, because sometimes there are in-betweens, that's right, in-betweens the downs and the ups. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but I want to remind you that today is Wrongdoer Wednesdays, where I talk about things related to the law of criminal activity. The Legal Merry-Go-Round website, which you can get to very easily, thelegalmerrygoround.com, has a free report that talks about the things that I'm going to be talking about today. So I would encourage you to go to the website and look at that report and any others that you may want. Let's hit this. Today, I'm going to talk about the insanity defense in criminal trials. That's right. People who are cuckoo, maybe, and maybe not. You know, look, we've all seen these uh, court shows, right, on TV and the criminal shows in the evenings where the criminal says, nope, insanity. I was temporarily insane. Yeah, before uh, I did the crime, I was okay. But then when I did the crime, nope, I was nuts. I I was uh, checked out. Oh, but yeah, right after I I was okay again. Well, does that defense work? Statistically, I'm going to share with everyone that it doesn't really work a lot, but it's tried. And there are going to be certain cases, of course, where people absolutely have mental defects and issues with how they're wired. And the law does allow for the diversion of punishment in a jail uh, to mental health facilities where there has truly been a finding that someone is afflicted with these types of issues. I think it's appropriate. I want to share with you a little bit, uh, just the background of uh, the insanity defense and, and actually what it is. It, it's a, a, a defense in criminal law that means you don't have the capacity to know right from wrong. The background of this case goes all the way back to Mother England in 1843. And it was embodied in what became known as the McNaughton Rule. Now, in England, uh, back before 1843, maybe 41 or 42, uh, Mr. McNaughton shot and killed, ready for this, the secretary of the British prime minister, believing that the secretary was conspiring against him. The criminal prosecution ended in an acquittal by reason of insanity and McNaughton was institutionalized for the rest of his life. The rule of the defense was the case uh, that provides that if at the time of committing the criminal act, the accused was laboring under such a defect of reason from disease of mind as to not know 
the nature and quality of the act he was doing, or if he did know it, that he didn't know what he was doing was wrong. Okay, so that's the background. I'm going to talk about the first case in the United States using the insanity defense when we come back uh, after the break, and a couple other of the more sensational publicized cases in our nation's history. But I want to get to something which is just, I just have been scratching my head from this. I do not understand it. I would like to be a legislator or the governor in four states in the United States and I would like to have been on the Supreme Court just for this one case in 2009. So what am I talking about? Okay, sit down. You're going to shake your head. I don't care, you know, how conservative and how crime pro, you know, uh, uh, get the criminals you are or how liberal you might be, but you you can't disagree with me here. You just can't. Are you ready? Four states in our country still today, four states they must be crazy. They do not allow the insanity defense. That's right. If you commit a crime in Idaho, Kansas, Montana, or Utah, you cannot use the insanity defense. I don't care how nutsoid and cuckoo and crazy you are. You can be certified nut job from every psychologist that you've been in contact with year after year from age five. Doesn't matter no insanity defense. Okay, well, that to me is insane. Pardon the pun. And I mentioned the Supreme Court. I'm going to talk about a case of a guy by the name of John Delling in Idaho in just a minute. But when Delling was uh, convicted uh, of his crimes, uh, his defense team appealed to the United States Supreme Court, who refused to hear the case. Thus, in 2009, uh, Delling's sentence uh, was confirmed by the Supreme Court of the United States, not even hearing the arguments. All right, so let's go to the case. John Delling killed two people and injured a third person in 2007 in Idaho. He pled guilty because he had no choice. He was caught. There was ample evidence brought out during the trial, however, attesting to his long-standing battles with acute paranoid schizophrenia. He claimed he was in the midst of severe delusions when he killed the two men and wounded a third. There was also evidence uh, that Delling knew what he was doing when he committed the, the murders. So, you know, there's evidence on the other side always. There's two sides to every story, and particularly in a courtroom. He had four more names on a list of planned victims. He injured Jacob Thompson in Tucson, Arizona, by approaching Thompson's truck and shooting him in the face, shoulder and arm. Uh, he then fled to Boise, Idaho, rented a car, and waited for Bradley Morse. He shot and killed Morse and then took Morse's body and dumped it into a nearby pond. He then went to Moscow, Idaho, knocked on the door of David Boss and shot and killed Boss when the door opened. All three victims were former high school classmates of Delling. Now, Delling was clearly suffering from mental illness when he killed David Boss and Bradley Morse and nearly killed Jacob Thompson, but that didn't stop him from thoroughly planning and carrying out what prosecutors called a multi-state murder spree. Um, 
the judge agreed as uh, he was sentenced and sentenced him after nearly a day of testimony from medical experts and relatives. Before being sentenced, interestingly now, hear this. Delling apologized but said the crimes wouldn't have happened if other people hadn't been using me as Jesus or something like this, trying to sacrifice me to give people eternal life. First of all, according to Delling's uh, final uh, statement to the court, first of all, a sincere apology to the families, especially Dave's family, for what I did. Dave was a really good friend of mine. If it hadn't been uh, for what some people did to me, I'm not going to do anything like this ever again. It's not even my nature. The trial elicited testimony from medical experts, and Delling's mom described him as a child who lived under the tyranny of mental illness, his adolescence and adulthood punctuated by violence and bizarre delusions. Um, You've heard, uh, like father, like child, Delling's father was a Vietnam war hero who saved three fellow soldiers but was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and he had a debilitating mental illness. Um, A psychiatric uh, expert testified about all this at Delling's trial. His uncle had obsessive uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and other major problems, according to the psychiatrist. So this is you know, the, these uh, miswirings in the brains of the men in this family were, were pretty well documented. Uh, even kids in the neighborhood where Delling grew up referred to his father as Crazy Ray, mocking the family and targeting young John uh, for being different. That stigma, according to the psychologist, clearly encouraged Delling to keep his own burgeoning paranoid schizophrenia secret. Uh, which he started displaying symptoms at age 16. Now, ultimately, uh, he became entrenched in an elaborate delusion that a group of children had begun stealing his energy, that the energy theft would kill him if he allowed it to continue. He told the court, uh, the, the psychologist told the court that in Delling's mind, the murders were necessary for him to save his own life. So by the time Delling reaches age 17, Uh, He began hitting himself uh, hard enough to leave bruises, pulling his own hair out, and believing others were stealing his aura. Well, okay. Again, Delling pleads guilty, sentenced to life in prison. Um, There is an appeal. The Supreme Court refuses to hear the case on a five to four vote following typical party lines, if you will. Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Ginsburg wrote the dissenting opinion, the first line of their dissent. Sit down, you got to hear this. This is the basis of this, uh, this country's understanding of people with disease. The law has long recognized that criminal punishment is not appropriate for those who, by reason of insanity, cannot tell right from wrong. Yeah, come on, Idaho and other three states. I mean, God, what's going on? And still, this was back in 2009, and this is still the case. Elizabeth Widra, the chief attorney at the Constitutional Accountability Center in Washington, D.C., in a prepared statement released after the Supreme Court refused to hear the case back in 2009, said, courts dating from ancient Greece have held 
that the integrity of the criminal justice system requires an insanity defense. The court should have taken Mr. Delling's case to make sure that every state in the nation respects this long history of legal and moral tradition and provides a constitutionally mandated due process of law. Folks, the issue here isn't whether Delling was insane, literally or legally. It's that he was denied the right to use that defense. I'm going to come back after the break with some more information and what might be called the sensational or some of the sensational insanity defense cases in our country. Don't go away. We'll be back. Well, how do you like your steak? Tim and Donna are suing Dante's Restaurant in St. Joseph, Missouri for medical expenses, counseling expenses, and punitive damages. They went uh, to the restaurant there and complained about their overcooked steak. The restaurant owner responded, according to them, by slapping the woman, Donna, in the face with a raw steak. They allege that as a result of the incident, this I love, their sex life has diminished by 75%. Now, their attorney, uh, the attorney for the restaurant, of course, denied the incident ever took place, claimed that the owner offered the couple free meals, free drinks, and two raw steaks to prepare at their home, but that he never hit them. Uh, Well, that lawsuit went bye-bye. Ah... How do you like your steak? Welcome. Welcome back. So I hope that uh, you went out and solved world peace during the break. Uh, I hope you listened to everything in between uh, when I stopped and right now. World peace, you can get to that later. I am your host, Attorney Paul Samico, and I do sincerely thank you for listening to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. Again, I told you at the beginning, avoid the downs and savor the ups. Well, insanity kind of fits in the middle there, doesn't it? I guess it's downs more than it's ups. But if it's a true insanity defense, that's not as down as it could be comparing if you're sitting in prison for what you might have just done. I told you at the beginning of the show in the early part, the first half, that I was going to tell you about the very first case in the United States that employed the insanity defense. So here we go. Daniel Sickles. Daniel Sickles. He was known for being a New York politician and a Civil War Union general, as much as for his public scandals and controversies. He married Teresa Baglioli when he was 33. She was 15. Uh, May-December romance? Okay. Not necessarily that he's crazy, but you got to question him a little bit, I guess. However, that wasn't the biggest issue in his insanity case. His greatest scandal came when he shot and killed Philip Barton Key in Lafayette Park uh, for having an affair with his wife, Teresa. In a very, very publicized trial at the time, he claimed temporary insanity as he was enraged with his wife's infidelity at the time. 
So before an all-male jury, he was acquitted of his murder charges in 1859. In the aftermath of the trial, ready for this, the public wasn't even concerned uh, as to the outrageous claim, but applauded his actions for liberating the ladies of Washington from the adulterer, uh, adulterer Philip. Now, Philip, you heard the last name, Key. He was the son of Francis Scott Key, the writer of the Star Spangled Banner. So the very first case, the guy gets off using insanity defense here in the United States. The next case, if you uh, have been living under a rock, you haven't heard about this, but uh, I know you have. So I want to give you some information just to recap, you might know this already, but it's an interesting insanity case. Yes, of course, this is about John Hinckley Jr., the gentleman who attempted to kill then-President Reagan, uh, also injured Press Secretary James Brady, and two other people. The, this might be the most famous case in our country's history. In 1981, Hinckley developed an obsession with the movie Taxi Driver, where Jodie Foster starred as a child prostitute and Robert De Niro played Travis Bickle, who plotted to assassinate the presidential candidate in the film. So Hinckley apparently watched this movie 15 times and grew infatuated with Jodie Foster. He began to stalk her by relocating to New Haven, Connecticut, near Yale University, where she was enrolled. He signed for a Yale writing class, slipped her poems and messages through her door, and calling her persistently. As he grew more desperate in his attempts, he even considered taking his own life in front of her to gain attention. But instead, he decides to attempt an assassination on President Reagan. As Reagan left the Hilton Hotel in Washington, D.C., he shot six times at Reagan and wounding, of course, Brady and two others. One of the bullets hit the president in the chest, but thank goodness uh, President Reagan survived the attempt. Hinckley's defense team pled insanity defense and succeeded. He was acquitted of all 13 charges of assault, murder, attempted murder, and weapon counts. Due to the high profile of the case, the public perceived the insanity defense as a loophole. Well, gee, I guess so, attempting to shoot the president a loophole in the legal system, which allowed a clearly guilty criminal to dodge going to Sing Sing. The controversy laid the fact that prior to the assassination attempt, and this is what I was telling you before, some of the statistics here, the insanity defense has only been used at that point up to 2% of the felony cases across the country, and in those cases fails over 75% of the time. Now, I guess maybe I should have looked this up. I apologize to you, my audience, for not telling you what, what those stats are today, but I'm going to guess it's not significantly different. Most states at that time were pressured to reenact reforms of legislation regarding the use of the insanity defense. Well, as you may know from the news, um, Hinckley, of course, was jailed in 19... Uh, 81. He wasn't jailed. He was uh, put into the, uh, uh, you know, the mental institution uh, in 1981, and he was released 
in 2016, of August of 2016, with 30 conditions to bring it forward. September of 2020, uh, there was another court hearing for Mr. Hinckley, and some of those conditions were relaxed. So that's the status. Now, you may be interested in uh, the further history of this def- this uh, this insanity defense. Following the attempt on President Reagan in 1984, Congress passed what's called the Comprehensive Crime Control Act, which established a federal standard for proving insanity as a defense to a criminal act. The act in part says that the defendant must prove by clear and convincing evidence that at the time of the commission of the acts, the defendant, as a result of severe mental disease or defect, was unable to appreciate the nature and quality of the wrongfulness of his acts. Well, people have different opinions. I heard an interview from President Reagan's son, who was violently opposed to uh, Mr. Hinckley ever, ever walking free. Um, that's not the law, you know. After all those years, apparently, his doctors continued to testify that he was a changed man, no longer suffering from delusions, no longer having a fixation on Jody Foster. So he's out. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess that's just the answer, but I'm going to comment on that in a little bit. The other case that I want to share before I uh, uh, close out today is a case that I had some personal involvement with. Uh, Don't know, again, what you know and what your history is and uh, how closely you pay attention to these things in the news, but there was a highly sensational case in 1993. A woman by the name of Lorena Bobbitt was married to John Bobbitt. It was a young couple in Virginia. I'm going to get to my personal involvement in this in just a moment. John had a history of mentally and sexually abusing Lorena throughout their marriage. So in June of 1993, he arrived home very drunk and raped her. After the incident, she stepped into the kitchen for a drink of water and saw a carving knife on the counter. This evoked memories of the years of domestic abuse that had been taking place. Okay, now if this is uh, a little bit um, spicy for you, you can close your ears for the next 30 seconds. Lorena, with the knife, walked back into the bedroom where John was sleeping and cut off almost half of his penis with the knife. With the severed penis in her hand, she left the apartment, drove to a field, and threw it away. Then she made a call to 911, in which a team then searched for his genitalia and was able to recover it. John was taken to the hospital, and his penis, amazingly, was able to be surgically reattached. Now, during the trial, Lorena revealed the details of their marriage and the domestic abuse. Her defense claimed that she was suffering from clinical depression uh, from, from all of the abuse causing her to do what she did to her husband. The jury deliberated, and Lorena was acquitted of her charges due to temporary insanity and could not be held responsible for her actions. She was ordered to undergo psychiatric evaluation for 45 days, and then she was released. 
in the aftermath of this very, very publicized trial, she appeared, believe it or not, on the Oprah Winfrey show uh, to talk about her experience. Um, she has since been an advocate for domestic violence causes uh, around the world. Now, Lorena Bobbitt was an individual with an Hispanic background. She was an Hispanic woman. My law practice, a civil practice, I no longer practice criminal law. I did that for about five or six years when I first got out of law school in the early 1980s. But I had developed a, a practice involving uh, helping injured people, and a large number of people from the area's Hispanic community knew me. Um, I was on uh, in the office on one day uh, early in uh, July, I guess, of 1993, and the phone rings, and it's a friend of Lorena Bobbitt. Would I be interested in helping her? Well, of course, by that time, everybody in everybody in the world that paid attention knew of what was going on. Um, I declined, but I thought that was very interesting. So just a little side note. The thing about, the thing about insanity defenses, you know, I just mentioned, I, I practice civil law. I deal with compensation for wrongfully injured people. Um, again, early in my practice, uh, early 1980s, I gave up the practice of criminal law. I don't like criminals. I believe people who commit crime should be punished. Uh, I think there are way too many who fake insanity to get off once they get caught committing a crime. It's easy to say, oh, he, he must be nuts. Look at what he did. Um, I recall in my early years as a criminal defense lawyer, I did that work to be able to learn how to how to move around a courtroom, how to present testimony, how to talk to judges. And it was good experience for me. I represented a young man who, whose name I will not mention, but he was, he was charged with burning down his mother's house. He had been on um, mind-altering medications for months and months and months and months. And when he went to burn down his mother's house, he had the belief that the house was rigged and that everything that was going on in the house, the police were able to hear. So he figured that if he burned down the house and they wouldn't be able to hear what he was doing. Well, okay. I mean, clearly the guy was nutsoid. In fact, I actually had gotten information about another attorney who had represented him, uh, who came to court and testified that this guy truly was cuckoo. In any event, um, the, uh, the court wasn't buying any of it, and he was sentenced to a long term in prison for arson. I talked about John Hinckley just a bit ago. I, I, I believe that really is the best example of the system working uh, that I can provide with respect to the insanity defense. From all accounts, he truly was insane, and thereafter he received appropriate treatment for his assassination attempt on President Reagan. I personally don't like that he has been allowed to walk free. I agree with the, uh, president's son, uh, not even for one second. I think he should have been institutionalized for the rest of his life. Um, but clearly there are unfortunate people who suffer from mental disease and who commit crimes. They have to be treated differently. They can be committed after a finding uh, that they uh, did criminal actions. I go back to what I talked about in the first half of the show. I, I'm absolutely 
utterly just stunned without words to understand how the right to try to prove insanity is not available in some places in our country. From ancient Greece to Mother England to modern day, quote unquote, clear thinking USA uh, and legal minds, the insanity defense is there, except not in Indiana, excuse me, not in Idaho, Kansas, Montana, or Utah. And then again, back in 2009, 2009, unbelievably, uh, the Supreme Court wouldn't even look at it. So the only thing I can tell you is that if you are insane and you're going to go out and commit a crime, uh, don't do it in Idaho, Kansas, Montana, or Utah, because then you have zero chance of having uh, the availability of getting better in an institution uh, you will be put in jail with hardened criminals. Uh, as for the pun of that, uh, if you're listening to this and you are thinking you're insane, then obviously you're not going to be thinking about the consequences. Uh, you guys get what I'm talking about. Anyway, listen, thank you all. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate you giving me your ear for this show. Please, please, if you haven't already, subscribe I'd love a review if you would do that for me. You can listen to me on all different forums. You can download free reports from my website, the podcast website, thelegalmerrygoround.com. Stay tuned next time. We're going to be back on Friday with what I call Fender Bender Fridays. Have a good couple of days. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.